0: Hey, this morning I just want to set some context for you. You know the scripture, it's very familiar to many of you, but I just want to read it to you because Paul wrote this thousand plus years ago but it just sets context beautifully for what we're going to see today. He's, He's writing this to the church in Rome. He says, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, because if you confess with your mouth And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And I just want to introduce you to a young man who's got some beautiful feet. This man oozes the gospel. It has been his privilege to be called and sent into his homeland Uh, to bring the gospel. Amazing story. Give a warm welcome to Derek, uh, Mueller and his his wife, Nadia, and his beautiful little daughter. Uh, There it goes. Louisa. Yeah. Are they here? Where are they?
1: They're still on on their way. We have to wait for them. Oh, they're still on their way.
0: So what you're saying is your wife is late
1: we're never, never late. happens never to me, I've never, never, never once... Uh, actually, Jim, I, to be honest, she never, I'm always the one who's late, because whenever we leave the house, I'm, I'm ready, but my last thing is always, where's the keys, where's this, where's that?
0: <laughs> I just want to say that's a really good recovery, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I love the way that you did that, I didn't realize she was walking down the aisle, well done. Alright, so... This is Louisa. Say hi! Can you wave to everybody? Say hello. Oh my hello. goodness! does not get any cuter. And Miss Nye, we're so glad to have you guys Thank with you. us today. Welcome. They're gonna be with us uh, for the next week or so, and they'll be with us Thursday night under the stars. If you're aware of this, we have this incredible time outdoor, we're eating, and we're hearing stories from our missionaries. Several of this uh, week will be here from around the country. Uh, around the world actually and just sharing a little bit about the persecuted church and so on and so we're gonna hear from Dirk today and and others uh... on thursday so plan on being with us but let's give them a warm welcome again we're going to invite Thank you guys God. to have a seat yeah. so Derek, uh... you have just an amazing story you grew up an atheist in east germany yes. under the the world and context of communism. So tell us, I mean, how in the world did you go from being an
1: atheist to being who you are today? Well, you first have to understand the situation that we are in. Um, East Germany, 30 years ago, uh, was like a place where you did not have any contact points with religion or Christianity. Like in America, even if you're not a Christian, you know, there's always somebody who is a Christian, there's always, you know, the, the churches with the crosses outside, there's Christian radio, there's Christian that. You always have those contacts and you're sort of aware of things. Um, and in East Germany that was not the case. Uh, communism suppressed. And different from West Germany. I mean, East this Germany radio, was yes, yes, of very, course.
0: very common, yes. very controlled. Yes. So you just didn't have access to churches. Yes. Tell me about your family.
1: My family, my, my mom and my dad still alive, are wonderful people, no Christians. So in all of our, in the 18 years that I stayed home and lived home, there was only one occasion uh, when the name of God was ever mentioned. So it was just non-existent. It's like we weren't atheists by choice, we were atheists by default, hmm. because we didn't know anything else.
0: Well, I mean, you know, every human being asks the big questions strike Yeah, how do we get here, what's my purpose in life, what happens when we die, all of that. I mean, weren't you asking those questions?
1: Well, um, maybe you were starting to, but those questions were suppressed um, cleverly enough right from the beginning by the government. Um, There was this constant bombardment uh, from kindergarten on about the right thing to believe, about the triumph of communism, about religion just being the opium for the people. It's just, it's, you know... I mean, just maybe. right
0: out of Marx's book. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And it was, it was everywhere. It was not just only like in religious classes, but it was everywhere. It was in German class, it was in math class, it was in physics class. Give us uh, an example. Well, for instance, in math, they wouldn't just say, you know, let's say a projectile travels 2,000 kilometers in this kind of hour, you know, what is the speed of that projectile? They would say um, a rocket of the imperialistic aggressor is traveling towards whatever. And by the way, you are that imperialistic aggressor. (laughs) And so everything was colored. Everything was colored by communism and in in a sense we didn't realize it but we did live under a religious atmosphere but it was a communistic atheistic religious atmosphere.
0: Wow, I mean mean, if you don't have context you really cannot appreciate the liberty we have and the, the exposure we have constantly to things of the faith or even just the presence of the local church all of that was systematically removed by the communists yes. and accompanied by massive violence in the 20th century. I mean, the communism actually accounted for over 20 million deaths as they seemed to just eradicate things of the faith. It was very systematic. So that was the context you grew up in. You, you didn't choose to be an atheist. You had no other choice. It was a state religion, yeah. really, was, was yeah. atheism.
1: Yeah even up to today, East Germany is the most atheistic region in the whole world. That's amazing. Um, I mean there's other regions where are less believers because they're Muslim or whatever, but our region itself is the most atheistic region in the whole world.
0: Because that's I mean. the state religion. By the way, I mean it's Not
1: anymore. It's sort of, uh, you know, 30, for 30 years now we have freedom, but... a little bit. But, uh, uh, but uh, it's just, uh, just extinguished the, the consciousness of God. Uh, within the population. Hmm.
0: So how in the world did this young atheist, German, communist come to know Jesus?
1: It started gradually. Um, I remember it it was many small little puzzle pieces who came together. One of the instances that happened is that when uh, as a high school students we were traveling uh, we had like a a class outing and for a week we would would go camping as a, a class together and we went to a coastal town and we saw there was a church selling bibles and um, we bought one not because we wanted to read it but we wanted to have it as an opposition towards our communistic teacher so we, we thought of well, we know they don't like the bible so we buy one just to have it
0: so you're a teenage rebellion
1: yes exactly <laughs> Yes. Yes. Teenage rebellion. Buy a Bible. It was
0: not buying a. Bible. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it was buying a Bible.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It was an act
0: of defiance against your government and people who were holding you down. You just exactly. knew it would make them mad. Yes. Exactly. And by the way, if you have teenagers, yeah, <laughs> it's just how they roll. All right. So, so what I just, came of? What came of that? Or I, I mean, obviously you didn't really. Did I started. You read it? I started reading it. You read it, and
1: it was very hard because I thought the introduction is part of the book. And you know, I don't know if you look in your Bible, introduction in my Bible back then it starts with translation, Septuagint, Masoretic text. Why they choose to translate this way and this way? And I go like, who in the world is reading this voluntarily? I mean, (laughs) and and then it got really exciting because then was the story of God creating the universe out of nothing. It was the story of Adam and Eve, romance, and I mean, it was 16, 17, 18, so great stories that were intriguing. Naked. Naked, naked, yeah, I mean, lively, you know, got your imaginations going. Um... And then, you know, you are at chapter 5, 6, 7, and that's where, that's where the end of it. <laughs> right. So I put the, put that.
0: You know, if you just thing. kept going to Leviticus, it would have just sprang up to life for you. Yeah,
1: man. yeah, no, no, I made okay. it till chapter 6 or 7, mm. yeah.
0: Mm. All right, so I mean, you've got a little bit of a challenge to yeah. your communistic, atheistic worldview that in the beginning God yes. created the heavens and the earth. But
1: interestingly enough, that small little bit of incentive was enough to do something and I'll tell you one of the next experiences, maybe it's a year later or two years later, is I am um, I'm, I'm ready to go home from school and I see one of the typical exhibitions on evolution. I've seen the picture a thousand times and you've also seen it where there is that, that hunched-back monkey walking on, on its force and then the monkey is walking upright and then it looks a little bit more human and then, then it's you and me and I look at this thing and I've always seen it, I've, not, I've never seen anything else and suddenly I see this thing, I look at it and suddenly I realize I just lost my faith my faith has gone
0: your faith in atheism My, this
1: is not true I definitely do not descend from a monkey and uh, it was just done in the instance and it, I, it wasn't replaced with a fervent belief in right. God but it took something away that enabled you know, the vacuum and the question what do I live for right what is the sense of meaning
0: you know uh, I've mentioned this to you before I really encourage you to pick up a book called I don't have enough faith to be an atheist it's written by a guy named Frank Turek and he walks through the immense amount of faith just blind faith that is required to believe that universes create themselves and DNA just happen to happen and all these things and to challenge The atheistic religion and doctrine, and that's you were very much indoctrinated. So, like a lot of teenagers who do doubt the faith of of their upbringing, yours was to actually doubt your faith in atheism. So, that opened you up at least to consider some other possibilities. Yes.
1: So, you know, two or three years forward, um, I'm in South Africa and I'm riding a train, and uh, I had this longing in my heart and this desire and this big question what do I live for suddenly I walk around life and it was not enough to have a career it was not enough to have good clothes you
0: were successful you went
1: into banking yes yes I did an apprenticeship as a banking the I got stock an exchange yeah but a stock exchange for a while and it was uh, for me it was always I want to have the, achieve these goals and once I achieve those goals I'm happy and interestingly enough I had all this and it was not bad but it was not good enough and there was, some, there was this, this hunger in me for there must be more to life than this. And this was driving me on. It was really, it was this question that was with me. And it's like my, my dad sometimes said, it's like, what do you want? And I go like, I don't know what I want, but I want more than this. Yeah. And so with this question, here comes a man. And this is a very interesting story. I just told you, always just to, and I have to be careful about how much I tell because the time <laughs> yeah Here, I'm in South Africa and I oversleep and my next-door neighbor three houses away he also oversleeps and so we meet in the train station usually in rush hour the train station is full of people we meet like 9 and 10 o'clock and we're almost the only ones there mm. so he comes to me in the train and he says hey how are you doing are you a Christian and I go like I rarely lie. I seldom steal something. I help old people over the street if they need to. Yes, I think I'm a Christian. (laughs) And uh, and he was laughing at me the same way you were laughing right now. And then he takes out his pocket Bible and he says, "Doesn't work like this, young man. Let me read something to you." And he reads to me from the Gospel of John, where in the first chapter it is written that Jesus Himself was the Word, and the beginning created the universe formed his own people for his own possession came to the earth as a human being came into his own world his own people and his own people rejected him And then there's this amazing promise where it says but those who believe in him those who trust in his name to them he gives the right to become children of God mm. and I'm sitting there next to him and that he doesn't know what's happening in my heart he just reads it to me and I suddenly go like what if being a child of God Is what I'm looking for what if this child of God is the more I'm always longing for and so he said to me and said hey why don't you buy a Bible and read in it so I go out of the train station and I buy my second and third Bible that day Um, and I go to the clerk and I say I'm looking for a Bible it's small like this it's black and it's alive do you have that kind of Bible (laughs) and he had one like that and it's I'm so excited I have this little thing it's exactly the same pocket Bible like the other way so I said I'm buying it I'm buying it and as I'm saying I'm buying it I realize something and I go like um, I have one last question why is this Bible so small and the other ones are so big and so he says well this has to do with testament and old and new and whatever and I, I didn't understand the thing he was saying but I realized the small one is only half the truth mm. So I realized, no half the truth is not a good thing, so I bought two Bibles that day. I bought the whole truth and the life truth and, <laughs> and Went home with it and started reading a little bit in it and it was like an up-down up-down journey um, so And there was no
0: Bible teacher No, you, nobody to give you context. You're no. just trying to read the Bible. No.
1: Yes, and And Something really strange happened. It's like one day. I'm sitting there, and I was having serious doubt that my pursuit of reading the Bible is a clever thing I see the telephone book laying on the table, and I go like Oh, there's no way there is a God that knows all those people. If all those people start talking to him I mean how are you supposed to answer that and I had serious doubt fearful doubt in my heart and Out of the blue, I have a word for it, but back then I didn't know what was happening. Out of the blue, the presence of God was in my bedroom. And I was convicted to the core of my heart Mm. that the almighty God exists, He is real, and He's right there. And then what changed in that moment, it only lasted a few seconds, and then suddenly it changed, and I felt incredibly loved, embraced, and it was just this wonderful feeling. It was just absolutely amazing, out of nothing and uh, just feeling loved, and you have to understand this, all the time I thought, if there is a God in heaven, and I die, and I meet him, I thought, he will say, well, high five, did a few good things, you know, helped a couple of old ladies over the street, Did, did a couple of bad things, sort of equal out, go to heaven, don't bother me. That was sort of my idea of the religious world. And I felt like I was good enough, And when I felt his love for the very first time, I felt I am not good enough. And I felt deeply convicted and at the same time felt his love. And so I asked God the question, I said suddenly, why do you love me? And I never got a real answer, but next time what happened is I saw a a picture in front of me as, as Jesus standing there and he's holding out his hand and he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. You are the stubborn sheep. I was always pursuing you or many times pursuing you but you were always running away now turn around and follow me and that was what, it was it was not like yes yeah. I will follow you I was going like oh, you are asking me to follow you and I said yes of course I will follow you and so those are the sort of first steps of Christian life and mm. I I had, I had a diary back then and it's very interesting now to read back Oh sure uh, like second or third week in the diary I'm writing this prayer to God and I said dear God I like what the disciples are doing. Please forgive me I'm, if I'm asking too much. Uh, if I'm asking something that you wouldn't want to give, it's okay. But is it please possible that I could also be one of the disciples like the twelve? And uh, yeah. So now I look back and I go like, it's just God, that was just you. That was just you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. So you, you, you've had this encounter, with the living God, yes, the very presence of God moved into yes. your space. By the way, church, remember what we talk about. It's what is in the scripture. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And what he, that was he just described right
1: there. How did that affect you? What happened, what happened next is that um, I felt a calling to, well, let's say, there's church experiences and I had I it's not in my times with the Lord I always felt he is amazing he's precious he's incredible how can we bring that knowledge to our to my youth group to the church I was always well, be- I felt
0: before we get to that okay just tell them the one little bit about what you did after you had oh. that experience to worship the okay okay. okay this is a very powerful story.
1: <laughs> so I became a Christian Brand new, and suddenly I feel I have this—I have this urge in my heart. I want—I want to sing. I'm so happy in my heart. But I didn't know that there is actually Christian songs. I didn't know there is worship songs. Uh, I wasn't aware of such a thing. But in my heart, just so, so, sort of suddenly said, you know, it's like, sing, be happy. So the only music I knew how to sing to was the stuff that, as you know, young people were listening to. So I got my tape. Put it in there. I went to the to the golf course, walked the golf course, put my earplugs in, raised my hands to heaven and I was worshiping God and singing Lady in Red, (laughs) just dancing with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well the eighties. It wasn't Rock
0: Me Amadeus, so that's good. Yeah Yeah, yeah. So 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 you you're a young Christian, you've had this encounter Lady in red. Lady in
1: red. Um,
0: so, it, I mean, obviously, it changed your identity. You you were a banker. You you shifted. You you took next steps to pursue the Lord to follow Him. What what did that entail?
1: Yeah. Um, long story, put in on a, a nutshell. I, you know, it's like when you get to know the Lord, you you have a sense, and that sense increases as you read the Bible and you follow Him. That He's worth it all, and He's wonderful, and you want to share that with others you want your youth group to be exciting, you hate it when the sermon is boring and you want Careful. to... So- <laughs> 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 and uh, And I just longed for more, I longed for the presence of God and so it wasn't, it wasn't a big hurdle when I felt like the calling of God to go to America and study at the, study at the seminary, it was like I wanted that more from God.
0: Where would and, you go to really encounter God in a really powerful way?
1: I don't, I don't know where you would go, but I went to Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Oh, you came it, to Kansas City. I came to Kansas City, yes. It's, I always thought it was the place where the glory grills, you That's know? Right. Like when you <laughs> 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 and uh, I had, you know, it's like, we, I had classes. I, I first went to a little, small, little college called Grace Training Center, and we were sitting in the classes, teachers were teaching, and we experienced something that we never thought is that a teacher can be so exciting it was really our heart was burning all the time and um, so here in america i learned that digging deep in the word of god brings out enormous amount of treasure which fuels your passion for jesus Um, it is knowing it's not only knowing jesus my savior but how is he what is he like it's what paul says is seeing the face of god uh, seeing the face of seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus in the gospel 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 It's that what I tasted and I felt like we need to take What you have here in abundance the ability? I mean the, the abundance of books the abundance of seminaries where you can go to and where you can get trained uh, To understand the word of God and to teach and to preach it. we need that in Germany But now
0: but, Germany has seminaries, right?
1: It has some seminaries, but what happened is we, uh, the Christian Church lost the great thinkers. Um, we had the, the big thinkers of the 16th, 17th and 18th century, but the universities went liberal in the 19th and 20th century, almost all of them, the state universities. And in contrast to the United States, that you also had seminaries who went after historical critical teaching, uh, liberal teaching but whenever you know Yale, Harvard w- you know went liberal you had new ones rising and plenty I mean people ask me you now if I want to study in the United States where should I go and I have this huge long list where I can send them to when I go like well, I only understand German where should I go to I say well considering your life ex- you know your life circumstances and get the option get extremely small and uh, it's really sad there isn't really a place where, where I feel like you can say, go there, this is great with you know, no compromise. I mean, there is places and the Lord is using those places, but they are small, they are tiny, and I think we are just now um, a sort of awakening the intellectual Christian capacity again for teaching and understanding the Word of God. Um, you had
0: mentioned, I mean, it's not only the liberal seminaries, universities, but then there were expressions of of evangelism and even charismatic kind of believers in yes. Germany there would be like these movements yes. that you mentioned uh, to some degree they're almost anti-intellectual yes
1: that what happens is part of we're sort of a little bit of a victim of of revival in one sense is we did have wonderful revival in the charismatic Pentecostal world in the early 20th century but these groups uh, the revivalist groups focused on devotion to the Lord also reacted towards the liberal teaching and said we don't need that we just need to read the Bible and love the Lord and, and pray and worship and but what happened is that then we severed ourselves from the deep thinking from the searching for meaning uh, from seeing the connections uh, in the New Testament and it, it sort of developed that we lost the teachers we, we lost the good teachers Um, you know it's like I'm talking to some of the seminaries and I say hey we need to put a stronger emphasis on on New Testament so that when the students come out they at least went through several books of the Bible in debt and studied them and they always look at me and says but who should be the teacher? Mm. Um, yeah so that's that's the challenge and that's the challenge uh, if I can be the prophet and presume your next question what I'm what we're trying to remedy and we're, we're really grateful because you're supporting it as Colonial. Um, where we are um, uh, having a Bible school in Dresden. Um, I'm teaching at several seminaries uh, in Germany, and we're trying to build a small new branch in the Sudgut area. And we hope by the grace of the Lord and some patience and time uh, that uh, we will revive what once was the strength of Germany.
0: Praise God. And this is the land of... <clears throat> you know, Karl Barth and Bruner and so many others. It's, it's, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer contending in the almost, you know, I can't yeah. help but listen to this man and just imagine that Dietrich Bonhoeffer probably had a very similar heart to yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, and so praise God. And I, I want you to know, I mean, I think everything you said resonates deeply with this group of people called Colonial. It's such a core value for our church as well. And so that's your mission. Uh, you have you know, have the seminary, you speak at seminaries, you're, you know, you're a very, you know, well-read and, and, and thoughtful guy, but sometimes ministries find us that we don't anticipate or even want. Yes. And one of those is the Persian ministry, yes. a ministry with Persian-speaking people that are coming into Germany. Tell yes. us about that. It's a yes. good story
1: so uh, a friend of mine had a little bible study with about five or six persians and um, i was not involved and at some point he said hey can you please help me i'm going abroad and i'm not here for those weeks and can you take over can we do it together and i was thinking i go like well it's not really what i want to do but okay and uh, not thinking about much about it i said okay i'll help you and so we did a couple of teaching a couple of time together and then half a year later my friend says i'm taking up a pastor in, in munich can you take up the main responsibility of, of teaching the persians the bible and so i didn't want to offend them right away so i said let me pray about it
0: that, <laughs> it's like pastor code language for i'll tell you no over the phone tomorrow yes,
1: over, <laughs> over the phone that i don't feel the urge i don't feel the burden <laughs> of the lord <laughs> And, uh, but what happened is that I was about to say no I suddenly felt a real love for the people it just, just I just loved them suddenly and I said oh we cannot leave them alone so I said yes to him, and uh, I said okay we'll start a new Bible study after the summer break and yeah. uh, I tell, tell
0: them why this is hard. You know, if, if you've never ministered to people who don't speak your language yeah. and you have to work through a translator, and then there's major cultural differences yes. between the Westerners yes. and people from Eastern countries. Yes. Explain yes. that a little bit.
1: Um, well, first of all, it's we didn't have professional translators, so we, we had just the people who were there who, who had very limited knowledge of English and German themselves, so translating always took hours for the most simple things and uh, the Persians one of their strengths is they are very hospitable people so when you say okay just come by and bring me this or pick up this it always means come drink tea eat some of the food that's in the stove and stay for eight hours and uh, (laughs) and sort of I didn't have the eight hours and I hate garlic and (laughs) So, it was not, uh, not my first choice of, uh, of people I want to work with and want to associate with, but we grew to love them and we grew to love each other.
0: So, you, and, you, get, you took over the reins. Yes,
1: I took over the reins and I got another friend and so we, we progressed on it and we said, next week, okay, we'll do it next week. And then, you see, you know, it's like the people are started coming to us and says, when are you finally starting our Bible study? And the man of faith and power that I am, I always said, well, maybe next week or the week after, or maybe in three weeks. And so as I was not really ready. And then there came a point where it hurt so much, where my conscience was so bad because she was supporting me and I was supposed to be doing this. I finally said, you know what, we cannot procrastinate any longer. I think we should start now. And so we announced it to everybody and said, hey guys, we'll start a Bible study for Persian speaking. Invite all your friends. Come and we'll do it. And first evening there was like 17, 18 people, something like this there. And I said to my friend, hey listen, we, we, I have something on my heart. I don't want to beat around the bush. I don't want to lure those people in, and tell them about the wonderful things God does for them, loves them, makes them rich, prosperous, carefree. And then half a year later, I come with an, you know, it's like with the difficult part of the Gospel. By the way, you have to take up your cross to follow Him. I said um and these
0: are mostly muslims muslim or muslim
1: believers or, 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 or previous muslims so uh or or, or nominal muslims um, uh, so one of the most difficult things for them is to believe that Jesus himself is god prophet is okay but not god and so i said to my friend what we have to do is we'll tell them right up front what we stand for and who we believe Jesus christ is and we made a, we made a little storyline, showed them, look, here Jesus.
0: So, your plan was let's just offend them right yes. from the start.
1: Yes, yes. I'm yes. taking notes. As, yeah. <laughs> as kindly as possible. And seriously, I was taking, I was taking on my softest voice possible. And I'm saying, look, let's have a look what Jesus is saying here. What is, is he doing here? He is cleansing the leper. Look at what he, where he's coming from in his world. Cleansing somebody is a prerogative of God because Ahab in Second uh, in, in Kings seven or First Kings seven, his, uh, uh, he says, "Who am I? Am I God that I can cleanse this guy from from, from leprosy?" Sure. And so we showed them several stories where Jesus said things and did things where you can only conclude he is more than a man he is himself God who's come in, in human form uh, dying on the cross risen and at the end of the world worshiped by everybody and every knee uh, bowed to by everybody and
0: uh, how did that go? Uh,
1: it's like watching it's almost like you know you suddenly it was from teaching into where well, you feel you have to call the police <laughs> uh, suddenly a a shouting discussion occurred where people were seriously shouting towards each other, being angry with each other. In Persian. In Persian, and we don't understand a thing. And my translator didn't want to tell me what's happening. Uh, so, because they're very polite people and they don't want to offend you, you know, uh, but I was offending them. So, so I was, she was always saying, "Well, maybe there is a tiny misunderstanding," and I go, "Like there is no tiny misunderstanding. There's no. Everything will be sorted out. Don't worry." And I said, this is serious. I mean, they're seriously mad at each other. They're getting at their throat. So anyway, we never found out what's happening because nobody's telling us what is happening. And I'm sitting there with... Then everybody's dispers, dispersing, going home, and I'm sitting there with my friend. and said, this was the end of the Persian Bible study. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, but you know what? We committed. I mean, we cannot say we did it, and then next week maybe one person showing up, and we are not there. So we will be there and so we are there next week and there's 25 people <laughs> and the next week after is 37 and then the next week after the 45 and after that 54 and then 63 and then 76 and then suddenly we have this massive amount of people we didn't know what to do with and they're all really eager not always with the right motives but they're really eager to, to hear about who is Jesus and yeah, it's um, a
0: lot of people and a lot of garlic
1: Yes, yes indeed, yes indeed, and a lot of food. (laughs) So that
0: ministry has borne some fruit, obviously, you know, it takes time. Muslims are famous for being curious and interested, Yes, uh, and they have a high respect for Jesus. It takes a long time, and it takes community so have you seen some who've come to the Lord and you know how's that going?
1: yes interestingly very surprising is, is like we knew from the beginning that of the 150 people that we had that first year, year and a half or two years that uh, did the Alpha course with us we knew from the beginning there's not going to be 150 believers but you don't know who will believe so basically you're investing a lot of time for 150 people not only teaching them but going with them Um, to certain offices queuing with them getting permits and stuff like that get you know helping them to get integrated in life and you never know you know will are they actually Christians will they become Christians will they follow Jesus or not and sadly enough we have a lot of people that the moment they got the permit to stay in Germany it's the last time we heard of them Mm -hmm. and uh, we had people talk really bad lies behind our backs but you don't know it in the beginning and we in, but also what we had is like you know it's like Nadia once told me we because they were also coming to our home and uh, she said and we had some things that were not so good happening to our home and uh, Nadia said listen this guy and that guy you can love them at church but you don't bring him at home anymore he is having some bad look in his eyes I, I don't know I feel afraid scary and some of the people what I felt like I'm just waiting for you to backstab me Became one of the most loving, humble, faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I have I have this one guy in particular. I distrusted him for months, <laughs> years. And he is the most wonderful, Christian, loving guy you can imagine. I mean, now he is my closest guy. If ever I call somebody, it's him. And Church I know Church. he will be at my door at any spur of the moment doing for me what ever I tell him. So yes. it's absolutely amazing. amazing. Yeah.
0: Church, I hope you're hearing, you know, Christ through our brother in terms of the parable of the sower, right? Our job is to sow the seed, and yeah. you're doing that yeah. patiently over a long period of time. Yeah. Lots of garlic, lots of hours. And some, <laughs> some it takes root yeah. and bears great fruit. Others, you know, gets trampled on. Others, you know, the root is shallow and they kind of depart. And so you you know, you're living a very faithful ministry there, and we commend that and thank God for that.
1: Yeah. Um, you're always so good at exaggerating <laughs> in America. I think, you know, it's like if you if you look at our lives, um, I'm not even sure if I can say we are unprofitable servants. We've just done what you told us. I think in many instances we have not done what we feel like we could have done. Um, we're just weak and broken people. And, uh, you know, it's sometimes when I came here, I was... Looking forward to this. I was looking forward to Colonial. I was looking forward to my friends But I said also to Nadia, I'm a little bit anxious to come here because I think they expect me to tell all those great stories That the missionaries are doing, but if you look really on our lives, we're just weak and broken people And, uh, you know, it's like we wake up discouraged Um, I'm not always, you know, it's like boldly handing out tracts and inviting people to Christ and especially if you see the fruit in Germany, you need endurance, you need longevity. You know, it's like, there's no big numbers. You can report, you go to other countries, the number are much bigger, much more easily. In Germany, it's just sometimes just hard, grinding work, and you don't see the result. Yeah,
0: well, brother, it's kind of the same in America. Yeah. And, uh, and just for the record, we get it. You know, because I'm the same exact way, Pastor Greg, you know, there's there's no great spiritual giants. We're just people who are broken and trying to say yes to the Lord. Yes. Even though we come kicking and screaming often. Yeah. You know, we we were talking about evangelism and uh I think that's one of the areas where everybody feels like, Can you just like show me the silver bullet? How does it actually work? You're you're Pastor Derek, and you know, obviously that's a tough environment. So how does evangelism look there versus, you know, we've, we've heard one means, and that is, you know, a people group who have great needs, yes. and they're actually eager to hear the gospel. It does require a lot of hours and hospitality, but in that kind of a group setting, you have the opportunity to disciple, to preach the gospel, and walk with people. Um, you're also... You take this upon yourself to live it out and to model it in personal relationships. Tell us a little bit about the way that you go about that. Well,
1: I'm the worst people to choose as an evangelist because I'm an introvert. Uh, I love my comfort zone and it's challenging for me to come out of the comfort zone. But um, we were in Taiwan as teachers and I've, I've I've seen that work in Taiwan and I thought it was just a wonderful way of building genuine relationship and using opportunities. Um, what I see the Taiwanese doing is they train themselves to have the two-minute testimony um, being able to tell them why they believe or how they become how they became Christians or why, why are they Christians and uh, the Taiwanese are very faithful in that they said whatever they're standing in line queuing or whatever they just you know turn around and they say can I quickly tell you in two minutes what happens to me and they tell their story and I thought like this is amazing we'll try this in Germany and uh, this is on a low scale level um, what we as our family are doing is we are looking for the golden opportunity in the everyday life so what we do for example is I used to change hairdressers a lot because that's every new hairdresser's a opportunity to telling the gospel I don't know what's with your hairdresser but in our culture the hairdressers they talk a lot and you know so, there's always the So you would the, change the, the person who cut on.
0: your hair regularly because yes. that's a person that's, they have to listen to you. If they don't like you
1: though. For a while I, you know, for, that, for, that, that for, happens. for a while I stuck with the hairdresser as long as she was interested right. when she, and I felt like she was not interested anymore. I chose a new hairdresser. Okay. And, <laughs> right,
0: so the Ministry of Hairdressers, yes, exactly. how does this
1: work? It well for me, I, for me it's a little bit easier, it, it's hard as introvert, but it's easier because I'm a pastor. So because this, this is the way the conversation always goes. How do you want your hair cut? Cut, you know, it's like small talk. And then, so what do you do for a living? And then I'm waiting for the reaction. I see you on the mirror. I go like, I'm a pastor. And then I was at this one hair saloon. It was like, you know, buzz going on. People are talking, telling the latest gossip. Everything's going on, cutting and, and drying the hair. And she asked me, So, what do you do for a living? And I says, I'm a pastor. And suddenly everything is dead quiet. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's just like, you know, two single uh, hair dryers going And <laughs> And everybody's looking at me. I was like, What is that dude doing here? And, the, the lady, she looks at me and she says, "And this has no future." And uh, so I use this opportunity and says, "Yes, this is really weird. I know. You know, if, if you asked me twenty years ago that I will be a pastor, I would have laughed at me. But let me tell you a story. And I don't use. I don't want to defend myself at that moment why I'm a pastor. I want the opportunity to give my two-minute story. And I tell her this is how I became a believer and this is why I believe." Because life is immensely short, and there is a chance of living eternally in paradise. And imagine this would be true, and you miss it. Hmm. Hmm. And so I use, this, I use this, you know, it's just a simple story, and uh, let's just see how the people react and go as long as they want to, want to go.
0: Well, you can't call people to evangelize if you're not doing it yourself. That's a beautiful example and model. I know you don't do it perfect every time, and there are times that you should have and you didn't. I think we all have that, especially yeah. us like, you know, intellectual introverts. You know, yeah. I mean, literally, I spent half of my summer on an airplane, and I confessed before God and everybody that I literally was like, please put in your headphones so I don't have to talk to you. Uh, you know that's the, that's the Christian pastor in me because we we don't want to get out of our comfort zone yes. even if you're a professional proclaimer and Christian it's yes. but if you're willing to say but if that person does not put their headphones in I'll say something yeah. I'll start look for the golden opportunity and just give it a reason for your faith yeah. why what happened to you why yeah. you're a believer yeah. and that's a great way to start now you you're also a leader and you lead you lead people and I uh, so I know that the Lord also uses other means of, of reaching people. Tell us about Christmas.
1: About what? Christmas. Oh Christmas so okay so we do evangelism small scale and then of course we look for opportunities for big events and um, there is no such thing that we say hey these are the five things for success we sort of just sometimes stumble upon things and they work and if they work we keep it. Uh, one of the things we did is we were thinking like a small team and uh, we were sitting together and said, okay, how can we reach the people? And we are saying they will never come to church except on Christmas. Because Christmas is all, you know, you've got gushy feelings and it's traditional and so, sort of... So
0: even in East Germany... Yes,
1: Christmas is when everybody will, be, will, will go to church. Okay. Or if you invite them to go to church, they would be willing. There's some, some chance that they will be willing to go to church.
0: America is nothing like that. Sadly, I so, mean, it's very much the same way. It's here. very much yeah. the same.
1: So we thought, hey, how, how about we're not using this opportunity? And uh, in a moment of faith, I looked at it and I said, we have half a million people. In 10 years, I want to reach all those half a million with one chance to hear the gospel. So we said, in 10 years, half a million. So that means 50,000 invitation flyers every year well we didn't print 50,000 we did 20,000 or distributed 20,000 but it was good sometimes to put the gold there um, because if we had put the gold on a thousand flyers we would have handed out 200 so now here's all those boxes that we paid for we had the pressure to do something with it because otherwise (laughs) it's a waste of the missionary money that you gave us you you
0: distributed 20,000 how did you do that?
1: every opportunity you have we told all the friends everybody in church everybody in the Bible school you take with you, in your car, in your purse, you know, a bunch of 20 flyers and wherever you come um, to your bakery, you buy your rolls, to your coffee shop, you hand her, a, you hand that person the a flyer. flyer,
0: what did it say?
1: Uh, invitation to gospel celebration. At Christmas? At Christmas, yeah. Okay. Gospel, gospel celebration at Christmas, yes. And you hand in and say, hey, we are having, you know, we celebrate the birth of Jesus and there is great music, there's gospel and come and, and visit us. And first year that we did it, uh, we had 500 unbelievers. Praise the Lord. uh, That's amazing. Who came. Not all of them have, you know, stayed. Just a handful stayed. uh, But they had the opportunity. We just loved them. We bought chocolate for them when they came in. You know, the really good chocolate, not the cheap one. (laughs) Well,
0: if you you use dark chocolate, they'll tithe.
1: Uh, I have to try that. And I I handed out the wrong chocolate. Uh, No, we said, no tithing, we will not take an offering because we didn't want the feeling that the people come and then they say, oh, they did this because they want my money. Everything was for free, food afterwards, coffee afterwards, you know, whatever we could, we could love, and then we did. And we kept it ever since because people are coming um, to those, those sort of events. And let me tell you another story, one of the other things that we did, and sometimes it's just trial and error, and some of the things do not work. Um, One of the other things is that we did, we said, hey, how about we rent uh, the university hall, uh, 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 the the lecture hall at the university, secular university, and we have a debate between an atheist and a Christian. And so, you know, some people thought, that's a great idea, we'll do it. We asked them Christian, we asked, you know, do you have an atheist friend, we invited them to come and we put posters all over the city, and we just put a quick question, opium for the people? Question mark, because Karl Marx said religion is opium for the people so we put it as a question mark yet you shouldn't show that picture because it ruins everything because the story goes like this I'm there, I'm there half a minute, I'm there half a minute before we start and there's like five or six people there and suddenly the man of faith and power collapses and I'm calling my wife and it says you know because what we did is in the moment of faith we hired the largest auditorium possible 500 people and now I'm there and I'm calling my wife and said it's so terrible nobody is coming we have this huge auditorium and there's five people and they will laugh at us and they will say well these Christians want to have a debate and you know nobody is coming and whatever and I'm down there and as the minutes progressed, people are coming and coming and coming and we filled the auditorium. Christ, it yeah. was, was full of people, yeah.
0: Unbelievable.
1: So we're having it again this November, so pray for us. Um, we want to have, you know, it's like this... Yes. That, that That lightning from heaven. Come
0: on. <laughs> wow, and did the debate go well?
1: Well, let, let me say this, it went really well because the Christian defended his faith brilliantly. And uh, at one time, what we also did is we each one had ten minutes talk, co- could contradict each other, and we said, okay, we we'll have a break. Do you have any question? And then we handed the microphone into the audience, and the very first question we hand in, this man takes the microphone, and he says. You woman killing Christians going on the crusade, you scum of the world, what are you doing? You are against science, you're hindering the progress of Christianity, you stupid people. And he goes on like minute after minute and everybody, even the unbelievers, feel ashamed. Uh, And they feel like, oh my gosh, what are they doing now? And my friend, he was leading the discussion, he takes up the microphone and says, Well, thank you very much for your input. Can you rephrase that as a question, please? (laughs) And and everybody was laughing and I felt like it was this wonderful spirit in the room where we feel like the Christians are not those offended people, but they can actually, you know, take a hit and laugh about it. And uh, we felt like we have a community for that evening that where we are all on a journey and we d- can discuss each others like what is truth and where we're going and Praise why God. we're here Praise and so yes it was, a, it was a wonderful thing.
0: What a great lesson you know I, I, I think we're all so fragile and so easily offended yeah. and we get hurt but when Christians can take a hit yeah. and have a good sense of yes. humor and not yes. get offended, boy yeah. that really does, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I bet the atheists on the stage was probably actually embarrassed for that too and would Absolutely. Have never encourage that kind of Absolutely. behavior. So, Absolutely. Wonderful. I mean, civil discourse is something that is so important. Christians are never afraid of truth and yes. civil discourse. Yes. And we do need to create environments for that to happen mm. and even publicly, so thank God yeah. for that. Uh, you know, I th- you mentioned Taiwan. This is a very interesting country, getting a lot of press right now. You actually have a ministry there. You started a Bible school there. Tell us just a little bit about that
1: well 10 years ago somebody whom I knew from a friend that I a friend that I knew said there is uh, in Taiwan they're looking for a director of the Bible school and they're, they're looking for somebody to start a thing and since I love adventure I love traveling I you know what usually happens is that people ask me hey can, can you come and drive there and you know we'll pay you for the airplane ticket or whatever and I say yes and then I have to go home and I said, you know Nadia what happened, I booked a trip, I didn't tell you <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I'm the adventurous guy and uh, I said Taiwan sounds great, Asia, I've never been, I want to go there and they were wonderful people, they said, hey we'll fly you out you can look at it and if you like it, you know, we we'll make a commitment and we'll start the thing and so I fly out and um, it was not what I expected um, wonderful people, lovely people, but sort of not my lifestyle at all. I love peace and quiet, and Asia is not the place for peace and quiet. I don't like raw fish, mm. and um, yeah, a lot of things where I go like, oh, not where I wanted to live. So already on, second, on day two, I decided, no, Taiwan is not our adventure. And, uh, you know, we went back, and then, uh, you know, as the, as the Christian thing to do is you say, I pray about it and then but but no seriously we felt we felt like we should not so easily dismiss it but we were seeking the Lord and said is Taiwan for us or not and my preferences said no and then suddenly I realized my own preaching caught up with me oh I hate it when that happens Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah I mean it's like I was preaching and Nadia knows it I was preaching so many times with passion about the glory of God first I mean, He is worth it all, and if we knew who He is, our sacrifices would suddenly become very small as no sacrifices. Uh, You know, I think it was Hudson Taylor who said, I never made a sacrifice, and it's the Mm. person who suffered tremendously, because he saw Him, he saw the glory of God. And so suddenly, we felt like God was asking us the question, uh, glory of God first? Or all the other things and we decided you know through no, no negotiation okay we'll do it and it was one of the most wonderful and most life-changing experiences for us as a family as well Um you'd
0: all go for like three months at yes, a time? Yes we
1: went in the first couple of years we all went as a whole family for three months um, uh, yeah with two little kids <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was really interesting, but uh, it was wonderful experiences. I started to love sushi. Um. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the sauce. Yeah. Uh, so, but we saw some pictures, some beautiful pictures of you know rooms full of people. They're they're feasting on the Word of God in Taiwan. And Amazing. That's just some, an ongoing ministry you continue to sustain a couple of weeks at a time. You just
1: yes amazing amazing people it's like every culture has its own strengths and weaknesses Um, with the taiwanese it's like when they become christian amazingly the first thing they ask is what can i do for the lord Mm. now we westerners we ask what what can Can the lord Lord do for me me? they're the first thing they want to serve but then they come from a servant perspective and in a sense they're changing from okay we were we were slavishly serving those idols Now they come to faith, they also want to